Uh, no verses in Scripture are skipped more often than the genealogies. Um, no matter your theological background, no matter your spiritual maturity, um, no matter even if you're one of these people who has to read things in order, um, most people skip the genealogies. Or if you don't skip them, you at least skim it and read it really, really quickly. After all, they're difficult to read, let alone to understand. I mean, they're filled with Hebrew names that are hard to pronounce and that sound archaic. Now, I've heard lots of people mention so many different verses as their life verse. I have yet to meet anyone whose life verse is from a genealogy. <laughs> now, some of you may have even wondered why I bothered tackling it this morning. You thought, well, couldn't you have just, you know, covered that with last week and just say something quick about it at the end and let's move on? I mean, Luke's going to take us long enough, Pastor. Let's, let's move quicker. Um, but we're not going to skip the genealogy this morning um, because all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us. And all Scripture means the genealogies as well. Now, some passages are more obviously helpful, and some passages take a little more effort and a little more work. But my hope is that by the end of our time together this morning, you will have a greater appreciation, not just for genealogies generally, but for this one in particular. And so we're going to take a closer look at Luke's genealogy at the end of chapter 3. And we're going to find that it doesn't just tell us who some of Jesus' ancestors were, but it reminds us of some key foundational truths. And so we're also not going to skip the genealogy in our public reading of God's Word this morning either. Um, so I'm still going to read it all the way through, and I'm still going to ask you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word, starting in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matha'at, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsi, the son of Nagai, the son of Math the son of Mattathias, the son of Semihim, the son of Josech, the son of Yoda, the son of Yoanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melki, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Elzir, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Mela, the son of Mena, the son of Metathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Ebner, the son of Selah, 
the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mehalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask um, that you would keep your word. Lord, we just read a scripture that caused many of our minds to wander, if we're honest. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and do another miraculous work according to your word. Would you cause us to feel your breath through these words? Would we profit from this genealogy's teaching? Would we be reproofed and corrected by its theology and content? Would this be another exercise that trains us in righteousness so that when we look in the mirror tomorrow, we would see ourselves slowly being transformed into Christ-likeness? I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So our first point, if you are taking notes in your bulletin, is that the genealogy is theological. The genealogy is theological. Now, if you skip out on a genealogy, you are not just missing out on history. You're actually missing out on theology. Because every single genealogy in Scripture has a theological point. And so if you don't search the genealogy for that theology, you are going to miss the whole point of it. But often we're hindered from seeing the theology. And one of the things that can hinder us, and the main thing that hinders us, is our modern obsession with exactness. So we can overly focus on every single name. Or if you've noticed, if you read this passage ahead of time, which extra credit for you if you did, um, you might compare this genealogy to the book of Matthew and you might find some differences. And so then you can start to pick apart every line and name. And suddenly, as I've read in many commentaries, this passage starts to turn into a battle. And we start using it to fight over whether or not we can trust God's word, whether it's accurate or it has mistakes or what do we do. Now, there's a number of questions that you might have. I don't want us to get bogged down here, so I'm going to try to talk about it briefly and then ignore it and move quickly. Um, I'll give you some quick solutions, and if you have further questions, because if this really is um, bothering you, then just come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to walk through all of it with you. Um, I'd love to do that. Um, I don't believe there are any errors either here or in Matthew's genealogy. But Luke and Matthew don't write the way that we would today in our modern times. So some, they, they solve this, this issue with some certain differences by saying, well, Luke must be giving Mary's genealogy and Matthew is giving Joseph's. Um, that's possible. I don't think so. Um, the primary solution and the main way to see this is that the word for father is much more of a generic term for them. They are not, it doesn't have to mean the biological father, and this is their biological son, and that's, it has a much wider semantic range. It's not about knowing who somebody's biological father is. It's about knowing who their ancestors are. It's about knowing what line they come from. And so most of the differences that you see between Luke and Matthew is just them choosing different names. And it's them skipping over other names or skipping generations or one includes a generation that the other skips. And to us, that seems inaccurate, but for them, that's not. This is how genealogies worked everywhere in the, the um, ancient world. So neither one of them is inaccurate or wrong. And when we overly focus there, we miss it, that the point of all these genealogies is theological. They're choosing the names that they choose for a purpose and a reason. It's not just all of the names that they knew. It's not just here to tell us what Jesus' family tree is. So the question for us then 
Okay, is how do we find the theology of the text? When you come to these passages, whether here in Luke chapter 3 or in Matthew and many of these other places, what do I do with it? Um, well, the best way to do it is the same way we f- usually find theology in Scripture is we look at the context. Okay, so look at the context of the passage. What comes directly before it? What comes after it? Why is it placed here of all places instead of somewhere else? Because the context will reveal to you something about what the author is trying to say and to communicate. Let me give you some examples from the rest of Scripture. Okay, Genesis 5 gives us a genealogy. It's one of the first ones we get. It goes from Adam all the way up to Noah. And it's not meant to show us how old the earth is, so we could just calculate it, but it's meant to show us that every single human theologically is made in the image of God, and He is the Creator. But the image has been marred by sinfulness and corruption, and now we come to Noah. There's theology. Genesis 10 gives us another theology, it gives us, or another genealogy. It's the genealogy from Noah's sons. But he goes to show us that God has kept His promises. That humanity has not died out even though they went down to one family. He's allowed it to multiply and fill the earth again because of his faithfulness. It's about theology. The 10 plus chapters of names in Joshua, if you remember when we went through the book of Joshua. It's there to show us that God keeps his promises. And theologically, he gives an inheritance to every single one of his children who follow him. Every genealogy, every single list of names, it's theological. It is not just names for you to skip over. But what's the context of Luke's? Well, let's, let's take a look. What's before it? What's the context of this passage? Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. So the context quickly is Christ's baptism. And there's a natural break, I think, between verse 20 and verse 21. That's why I chose to stop there intentionally. And you notice John the Baptist is not mentioned at all. The other Gospels all mention him in the account of Jesus' baptism. But right here in 21, when Jesus comes in, it it stops. John is in the background. In verse 20, John's arrested. It seems like he's in prison. And then we move on. And now our focus is on Jesus. And strangely, Luke gives a very short account of the baptism of Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Mark is known for its shortness. It has almost nothing of Jesus' infancy. But that one's three verses. John spends five verses, and he tells us even what John the Baptist said during this baptism. Matthew even gives us some of the words that Jesus speaks, but not Luke. Because Luke isn't really even focused on the act of baptism. He's focused on what happens after and what it means. Verse 21, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit and God declare loudly and clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not revealed to just a group of shepherds or Jesus' family. He is revealed publicly into the crowds. But look contextually again, okay? Verse 22, you are my beloved Son. Now skip to the end of the genealogy in verse 38, the last verse of the chapter. What does it say? The Son of God. This genealogy is bookended with theology. It's trying to, to help you to catch it. Just noticing that it's mentioned here, these two places, which is incredibly unique for a genealogy, is what opened up this whole passage for me. Because no other genealogy does this. Matthew, he begins at Abraham, and he works his way all the way up to Jesus. But Luke actually starts with Jesus, and he goes all the way back to creation. And he ends with reminding us that Adam, too, was a son of God. That's a major clue. 
But if you count all these names, too, um, you'll see something strange. And I have to thank um, Pastor Stephen Schaefer for graciously lending me a, a chapter of his new book coming out to po- who pointed out the significance of this to me. But if you notice, there are actually 77 names mentioned here. And sevens is important in Scripture. It usually um, has to do and symbolizes with completeness. The seven days of creation, that now God's work is complete, or 70. Um, is another way that mentions completeness. God creates the world in seven days. Genesis 10 has 70 nations to show that the world is filling up again after the flood has come, which is, again, more theology from a genealogy. Genesis 46 mentions the 70 descendants of Jacob who come with him to Egypt with Joseph after the famine to show that all of the descendants of Jacob are coming with them. And so these 77 generations, it's meant to show us completeness as well. Reminds us of Galatians 4.4 that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. That Jesus comes exactly at the right time. Exactly when God meant him to. Exactly what the plan since the very beginning has been. So every name is intentionally chosen to add up to get you to see this. And because all of these genealogies, including this one, are profoundly theological, even if it doesn't look like it at first glance. But so it's theological, but what is specifically, well, you know, what's the theology is trying to teach us? Point number two is that this genealogy shows us that Jesus, or shows Jesus as the Son of God. So the genealogy, it shows Jesus as the Son of God. So the point of the context of the whole genealogy itself is meant to show us Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God himself. Everything that Luke has done for these first three chapters repeats this over and over and over in different ways and pointing out different aspects of this. Over and over we hear that Jesus is a Messiah. And not just that Jesus is the Messiah, but Jesus is God himself. And it crescendos and it climaxes here finally where the public miracle takes place for all of Israel to see. And where God's voice himself, not his angels, but God audibly speaks and says... Jesus is my son. And the moment of Jesus' baptism, verse 21, the heavens were opened. This phrase is only used in one other place that I found. It's used in Genesis 6 or Genesis 7. It describes the windows of heaven being opened and then the flood and the rain coming down. I don't think that's coincidence. I think the similarities are intentional. Because here the heavens tear open. And instead of rain and instead of universal judgment, we have a salvation for all. Instead of the flood, we now get forgiveness that Jesus will bring. And the similarities, I think they continue with the dove. I've always wondered, well, why does it say the Holy Spirit descends like a dove? It doesn't say he descends in the appearance of a dove, but it's almost similar to that. So why is that metaphor? Why did Luke choose that word? Well, I think because, again, it's supposed to point us to Noah. Because it just did with the, the heavens tearing open, and so now we have the dove. Because you might remember in the days of Noah, the water after the flood goes down, the waters are descending, and Noah sends out a dove, second, to see if it's safe. And the dove comes back with an olive branch. The dove says that God's wrath has been satisfied. So now the dove descends not with an olive branch, but he descends to the branch of David. And he descends to the one who has the power over all the waves and the storms. In verse 22, and the voice comes from heaven and says, you are my beloved son. With you I am pleased. So the voice of his father speaks. 
He says, Jesus is my son. The entire Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God are involved in this baptism. And all of them declare, Jesus is God. He is one of us. And Jesus didn't become God at his baptism that some might try to say. He has been God since before there was light. This is just the public coming out party and the official announcement. And we're told this not just in the context of Jesus' baptism, but in the context of the genealogy itself declaring who Jesus is. It reminds us in 23, okay, Jesus being the son, as was supposed, that's an incredibly significant parenthesis of Joseph. He might legally be the son of Joseph, but Joseph is not his biological father. Joseph adopted Jesus. And while this genealogy follows Jesus' ancestors, the point is made at the beginning and at the end that Jesus is not merely human. He is truly human, but he is truly God. And he is the Son of God. That's why the genealogy ends again where it does with that phrase, the Son of God. No other genealogy goes back that far. Even the genealogy of Adam doesn't say this explicitly. The point is not that Adam is the Son of God. The point is that Jesus is. So the genealogy shows us that Jesus is the Son of God, but it also has something else to show us. Point number three, we're going to be here a while. Um, so don't think I'm almost done. But the genealogy shows Jesus as the Son of Man. So the genealogy shows Jesus as the Son of Man. That Jesus is not just God. Jesus is also a human being like us. That's why sometimes we refer to him and sometimes I refer to him as the God-man to point out the miracle of who he is, that he is both truly God and truly man. And this whole section genealogically is theologically meant to remind us that Jesus is a human too, that he is the son of man. After all, that's Christ's favorite term for himself. It's the way that he refers to himself over and over and over in the Gospels. I went and counted 82 times. Jesus calls himself in all four Gospels the son of man. And I don't think he is just claiming that title from Daniel 7. I think also that he is declaring that he is one of us, too. He is not just pretending to be human, but he is. And his baptism is meant to theologically point us towards this as well. Because John's baptism, it was a baptism of repentance. It was for sinners to come down and to, to get dunked and say that they are sorry and they need to be washed clean and made new. But Jesus gets baptized even though he has no sin. He's the perfect man. Never for a moment did he sin in thought, in word, or in deed. And yet, he participates in this ritual for sinners. So why does he do this? Well, I think he does this partially to identify with us. It's not because he needed to, but because we needed to see him do it. It's because he condescends down to us and he gets on our level and says, Hey, I'm one of you. I am a son of man. Not that he is a sinner, but that he is human too. He doesn't look up from above and look down and say, well, I'm way better than all of you, even though he is. He doesn't say, well, I don't need to do this because I'm perfect. He gets baptized with us, not because he is sinful, but because he loves us. And he wants us to know that he is one of us. And God declares, in case we would misunderstand, that I am well pleased. God the Father says Jesus has nothing to repent for. So Jesus' baptism, it sets the expectation, too, that Jesus is one of us. And he has the same ancestors as many in Israel did. And not just Israel, because it goes all the way back. He has the same ancestors as of all of us. He can trace his line all the way back to Adam and God himself. 
Okay, kings, they would often pride themselves on how far back they could trace their lines. Right, how many generations back or how many previous kings could they be connected to? And the further back you can go, the better, right? The more impressive it is. Or if you've traced your genealogy, the further back you can go, you, you feel great. If someone goes even further back, you're more impressed. Well, Jesus can go all the way back to the very beginning. That's better than any king. And he does this to show that he is like Adam. He's a son of Adam. He's a son of man. He's a human like us. But the good news of Jesus is not just that he is human. The good news is that Jesus is able to succeed where we have failed. Romans 5 reminds us, and often Paul especially talks about how Jesus is the second Adam. This is why Adam is mentioned in our genealogy. Luke wants you to make this connection, to see it. And have you ever wished you could go back in time and tell Adam to quit? Stop. Don't, don't do that. Please, don't eat it. Don't listen there. Right? Because if you could go back and fix it, then everything is going to get fixed. Everything would be made right again. Well, Jesus comes, and Jesus is the second chance for humanity. Because he's our second Adam. Him being the Son of Man, it is good news. Now there is hope for salvation, Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's led to condemnation for all men. So now one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds and brings grace and forgiveness for all of us. And Jesus is not just a second and better Adam. He is better than all of these names in the list. Many of them, we don't know who they are. Some of the names we see, they're familiar because of their popularity. We name people after, you know, people that we liked or we thought were significant. That's why we have several Josephs, Levi's, some Nahum's. Some of the names we know, we remember their stories. But it's not just that Jesus is better than these people. It's also that he is like them in some ways. He is different in more significant ways. Right, as children, um, or as children grow up, we love to see who they're like. Right, it's one of the first things you say when a kid is born. Oh, they have your eyes. He has your smile. Or as they grow, too, we, we watch them mirror us, or at least some of the times that can be fun. And we can see, well, okay, you must have picked up that tendency for your father because you didn't get it from me. Or that one you got from your mother. Or, wow, you're so cheap. You're just like your grandfather. I can't, how did you do this? This is a family thing. Well, God, Luke wants us to see through Jesus' genealogy there is also some of this. That we should stop and look and notice how Jesus will and is like his ancestors. Verse 27, two names stand out, Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel. This is one of the few names or, or right where um, Luke's genealogy overlaps with Matthew's. And you can read about um, Zerubbabel in the book of Haggai. Zerubbabel, he is the governor of Israel. When they return from exile in Babylon and they come back, the prophet Haggai tells them, okay, you've been building your own houses now, but now it is time to build my temple and worship me again. And Zerubbabel leads the people and they rebuild the temple. And he's, for his faithfulness, he gets a promise that he can be a signet ring. He will be included in the Messiah's line. Well, Jesus is similar to Zerubbabel in that he will also rebuild the temple. But he will rebuild the temple of his own body in three days. A much greater temple. And his temple is far more glorious than any building that Jerusalem could ever be. And he still is building the temple of the church of which Christ is the cornerstone. And Jesus is also, he's mentioned as the son of David. He is the true and the rightful king that was promised. He's also a man after God's own heart, but in a much better way than David was. 
Because unlike David, Jesus never fails. And unlike David, Jesus will rule forever. And Jesus is the son of Boaz. He's the true kinsman redeemer. He's the only one who can redeem and save us. And while all of us can be rejected and turned away like Ruth and no one wants anything to do with us because of the cost, Jesus sees us. And Jesus is gladly willing to pay any price to save us. And he pays the price in spilling his own blood and breaking his own body on the cross to redeem us. Jesus is the son of Judah. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And much like Judah was willing to trade places with Benjamin when Benjamin was going to be kept in prison by Joseph, Jesus trades places with us. He takes our sin and our judgment and our place on the cross for us. Jesus fulfills all of the promises that were made to Judah when he was blessed by his father. The promise that the ruling scepter would never depart from his hand. The promise that all of Judah's enemies would be destroyed. Jesus comes and does so and he destroys sin and death. He has already broken its power and he will completely shatter it when he returns again. And Jesus is the son of Jacob. But he wrestles not against God but against sin and death. And Jesus wins because he's much stronger. And Jacob, as Jacob got a new name, and was named Israel, Revelations 2.12 promises that Jesus himself will give us a new name on a white stone that no one knows. Jesus is the son of Isaac. But God did not hold back the knife from Christ. He was not a symbolic sacrifice. He was the lamb that was provided for us so that he could die in our place. And Jesus is the son of Abraham. He also leaves his home and everywhere that he is known to follow his father's will and to go into a strange place. And Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. And through Jesus, we are all grafted in and we are all considered children of God and true sons and daughters of Abraham. And Jesus is the son of Shem. Okay, after the flood, there's this strange story about Noah, right? Noah gets drunk and then he passes out naked. And one of his sons named Ham sees him and ignores it and then goes and gossips, tells his brothers. But Shem and his brother walk backwards so they don't see their father's nakedness and they cover him. Well, that's strange, right? Would that be mentioned here? Well, I think there's a sense in which Jesus is also like Shem. Because nakedness in the Old Testament is symbolic of our sin and our shame. The prophets often speak about in judgment that the nations are going to uncover your nakedness. And so Jesus, when he hears of our shame, when he hears of our sinfulness, of how the mess that we have got ourselves into, he comes to cover us. And he covers our nakedness that we no longer have to be ashamed. He covers us not with a blanket, but with his blood. And he makes us clean. And he also turns his back to not see our nakedness, not because he is blind, but because he puts our sin out of his sight as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus is the son of Noah. I've already covered some of the similarities to Noah that I think are here in this passage, but let me give you some more. Um, he also gathers us up in the ark to save us from God's judgment. And he comes like Noah to preach and declare that there's forgiveness. Anyone can escape. You just have to come. Come into the ark of Christ and be saved from the judgment that is coming. 
But also when Noah is born, his father says something in Genesis 5, 28. He says, out of the ground, the Lord has cursed us. But this one, being Noah, shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the toil pain of our hands. It's strange that that would be included at Noah's birth, but it is not just speaking about Noah. I think it is also fulfilled by Jesus because Jesus brings relief. Jesus is the only one who can save us from the curse of sin and death and all that sin has touched. And Hebrews 4, the rest of that chapter, reminds us that Jesus is the one who brings true rest. It tells us that Jesus is also the son of Lamech. Now, Lamech is pretty terrible. Um, so it's fairly easy to see how Jesus is better. If you don't remember his story, well, Lamech um, kills a boy for hitting him in Genesis 4. And Lamech declares the fury of his vengeance. And he says his vengeance is 77-fold. Because God promised Cain, I'll protect you. You know, if anyone hurts you, I will take vengeance against you sevenfold. And Lamech boldly says, no, my vengeance is even greater than God's or Cain's. Now, Jesus doesn't have vengeance 77-fold, but there's something strange that Jesus does. It says 70 times 7, Jesus offers forgiveness. He says, forgive 70 times 7. And the vengeance that Jesus will bring when he returns is perfect justice. It is not anger. It is not disproportionate. It is exactly pure and true justice and righteousness. And Jesus, he quietly endures, even when he is struck repeatedly at his crucifixion. Instead of murdering those who harm them, he forgives them. He says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And he dies for them anyway. And Jesus is the son of Enoch, Enoch who walked closely with God. And like Enoch, Jesus defeats death and ascends up into the heavens. Because Enoch didn't die. But he doesn't just do so by himself. He defeats death so that one day we too will get to be caught up in the air with Jesus at his return. And Jesus is the son of Seth because in the days of Seth, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And in the days of Jesus, people would call upon his name. Beggars would cry out in the street and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. They would no longer call up to the sky to God. They could call to the person of Jesus and know that his ears heard them. Jesus was also the son of Adam. He was born perfect. He was also tempted by Satan to sin, but Jesus was tempted three times, not just once. And each time he passed the test, and Jesus remained perfect. And Jesus is truly human. He was everything humanity was meant to be and more. As he succeeded where Adam failed. What we see is that Every single name on this list has a purpose. I think it's meant to show us that God is one of us and that Jesus is the best of us, that Jesus is the Son of God, but Jesus is also the Son of Man. And I want you to see what I hoped you would see here is that every single verse of Scripture is as deep as the ocean, that even the genealogies are rich with theology. You just have to be willing to wade into the water and go for a swim and see if you can find it. Instead of skipping over it, to slow down and to stop and to ask, where have I heard these names before? Why did he choose these words? What does this have to do with Jesus? What am I meant to see? We should also remember that every single one of these names is a part of our, our faith family. Through Jesus, they are part of your family tree. And that every generation we see here is another generation 
of God's faithfulness and a reminder that Jesus is truly God and he is truly the Son of Man. So this morning we, we've looked and seen every genealogy. It shows us some theology. In this genealogy, it shows Jesus as the Son of God and it also shows Jesus as the Son of Man. So I want to remind you, you know, don't, don't skip the genealogies. You might end up missing the grand tapestry of how everything in Scripture ties together and points to Jesus. One of my favorite things um, of television shows is when you get to the finale, at least when it's good. When it's bad, it's the worst. But when it's really good, it's, it's incredible, right? The pivotal moments when everything is winding down and the camera starts flashing back to all of these, these key moments and passages and things you've forgotten about that for years you have seen. And now it all culminates and ties together into here and this moment. And when the, the show can nail it, it's so satisfying. But nothing compares to the satisfaction of seeing that in Scripture. Of how every story, even strange things you don't understand all the way back in Genesis, are fulfilled and perfected by Jesus. And all of it has to do with Him. How every name, every story, every genealogy comes together in the person of Jesus. So don't miss it. Don't skip the genealogy. Invite our worship team to come up and lead us one more song as we pray. Lord, I, I thank you for your greatness and your grandeur. Lord, I w wish that we could, be, could have been with you as you walked with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as you just walked through Scripture showing how all of it points to you. Lord, would you help us and would your Holy Spirit come and would he speak to us? Would he whisper in our ears and show us in our own reading of your word in our own time how every single passage of Scripture, the weird ones, the hard ones, the ones we can't pronounce, even the genealogies, all point to Jesus. And they all have something rich to teach us. But we need your help and we need your Holy Spirit's help. Would you aid us? Would you help us so that we can be made more like your son? Because, Jesus, we love you and we can't get enough of you. And we truly do want to know you more. We pray this in your holy and your precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship our Savior and singing nothing but the blood. Amen. There is nothing like the blood of Jesus. Um, and because of the blood of Jesus, our benediction from 1 Corinthians 15 is true. So therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God bless you. Go in peace. <laughs>